Suava everyone, Suava Bogom, and welcome to the 11th episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul, brought to you by Vitya. My name is Magdalena Lewandowska, and today I want to talk about the mysteries of Slavic demonology, and I want to talk about the purpose of studying it. As the title of today's episode suggests, I am also going to prove beyond any doubt that being a Karen is not a Slavic thing at all. So if uh, that sounds interesting, if you want to learn more, keep listening. So, Slavic demonology. Uh, where to begin? I am thinking it might be actually a good idea to mention that there is such a thing as Slavic demonology. I uh, think it's worth mentioning it because a lot of modern road novels seem to be totally forgetting about it. It's pretty much the thing that I keep talking about, uh, the, the praying thing, you know, that the modern followers of Slavic native faith seem to be doing just nothing else than setting up altars and praying to the gods like, you know, good Christians. <laughs> and a, a large part of, uh, or rather the most vocal and active on social media part of followers of Slavic native faith seem to be completely unaware or maybe uninterested in the amazing and super interesting and really, really vast topic of uh, Slavic demons. Because, contrary to what modern Rodnovers are doing, our ancestors, the original early medieval pre-Christian Slavs, they did not actually run to the gods with every little problem they had. They addressed the Slavic gods always very, very respectfully and always in style, like, you know, in lavish style, you know, with feasts and dancing and drinking and slaughtering animals or Christians or, well, you know, <laughs> they, our ancestors, they bothered the Slavic gods only when they absolutely had to. Like, for example, when they had a matter of life or death, a matter of great importance and urgency and this is when they prayed to the gods to save their own life for example you know before a battle or when they were sick or when someone close to them was sick uh, so this is when the they address the gods and they pray to them and they made sacrifices to them pre-christian slavs also prayed to gods when they needed know good weather for harvest or for the crops to grow because if the crops wouldn't grow or the harvest didn't go well they you know would die like really of starvation so good weather was a matter of life and death another matter our ancestors bothered the slavic gods was uh, when they needed some divination when they needed to know the future but also really in serious issues only uh, like, for example, when they wanted to know if uh, a Slavic god, one of Slavic gods, would like to help them out with looting their neighbors, or 
if there is any point in looting the neighbors, so because you know it was customary among our ancestors to perform divination ritual before any aggressive military actions were taken, but other than that, other than life and death issues, the original pre-Christian Slavs, they left the gods alone for a very good reason. Because Slavic gods, they're very, very powerful. I mean, they are the rulers and the masters of the nature, you know, the storm, the rain, the winds, the life and death itself. You don't want such powerful entities to pay attention to you, uh, you know, bare mortal. Well, you don't want it if you have any common sense, which our ancestors thankfully had. And we know they had common sense because otherwise they wouldn't survive and then we wouldn't be here. So, yeah, contrary to some of modern Rodnovers, our ancestors, the original pre-Christian Slavs, they actually had brains and they knew how to use them. Therefore, they did not bother the Slavic gods until they absolutely had to. But, obviously... There were occasions where our ancestors needed a bit of supernatural help, like not the fully blown master of the universe amount of power that Slavic gods have, but, you know, just a tiny bit, a a smidgen. So in those situations, our ancestors sought supernatural allies among either their ancestors, which, you know, were supernatural beings too, or they tried to get this smidgen of supernatural help from the Slavic demons. And this is why they needed the lore, the wisdom of Slavic demonology. And this is also why we, the modern Rognovers, should study Slavic demonology too. Because it is safer for us humans to deal with the demons than to deal with the gods. Or rather... I mean, you know, we cannot say we can deal with the gods because really the the gods deal with us. We are being dealt with by the gods because really the gods do what they want. We can only, you know, try to ask them politely for something, but it's not like we, the humans, are dealing with the gods. We are being dealt with however it pleases the gods and we can not even like take it or leave it, we can only take it, we cannot leave it, like, not really. (laughs) And whoever thinks or claims to be dealing with the gods or, um, how was it? Like, uh, I read it on Facebook group the other day. It was something about, it it was about working with Veles, I think. I think it was Veles. I mean, it's just delusional. There was this chap to, that claimed to be working with Veles. Like, really? Whoever claims to be working with or dealing with one of the Slavic gods, like, that's insane. How do you work with death or with the whole underworld? Like, you cannot do it. Like, come on. We, the whole humanity, with scientists and governments and fancy labs and technology and stuff, we cannot even deal with a virus, like a single virus. But, you know, there is a chap somewhere out there on Facebook who claims that he's working with Veles. Like, okay, (laughs) if you say so, it's just 
bonkers. It really is working with fellas. Really? Pretty much the only supernatural beings we can actually be working with are demons. The original Slavic demons. The original Slavs had many of them. Demons were just pretty much everywhere. And now when I say demons nowadays, it has kind of a bit of a negative connotation. Like, you know, demons are bad or evil, but this sort of way of looking at it is a result of the ever-present Judeo-Christian influence because the concept of good and evil, you know, seeing the world in a binary black or white way is just a classic Judeo-Christian way of looking at things, which kind of makes sense from a Judeo-Christian point of view, from a point of view of a group of people who consider themselves to be chosen by the God to be the rulers of the universe. Well, maybe not the universe, just the earth, but from the point of view of self-appointed rulers, it does make sense to see everything as, you know, black and white, good or bad, because if you are on top of the pyramid of, you know, hierarchy and everything is like subservient to you and everything that happens or exists from your point of view can only be serving you, which is good, or be against you, which is bad to you. But our ancestors, the pre-Christian, the pagan Slavs, did not consider themselves to be the rulers of the universe or the land or the world or whatever. The original pre-Christian Slavs, they saw themselves as a part of the whole system. So they saw themselves to be as important or unimportant as everything else. So, if you put yourself on the same level as everything else, suddenly the concept of good or bad is actually not such a clear cut anymore. Because there are things that might be good for you that, at the same time, are very, very bad for, let's say, a wolf that's attacking you. So, if you manage to kill this wolf, it's a very good thing for you, but it's not a good thing at all for the wolf. So, when talking about demons today, I will do my best to stay clear from the concept of good and bad, and instead I will be using terms like benevolent for someone, for humans, for example, or malevolent for someone. So, hopefully in this way we will manage to stay true to the concepts of Slavic demonology and, you know, stay clear of the black and white and good and bad Judeo-Christian ideas. So, after this long introduction, demons, Slavic demons, they actually were not so bad, uh, said Magda a second after a tirade of staying clear from good and bad, but hey-ho, <laughs> let's just try it again. Slavic demons, they were, most of them were actually ambivalent. Many of them interacted with humans kind of willingly and they were like approaching this interaction in a very utilitarian way. It was a bit of an like use and abuse thing. It, it really was. The, the, the demon would use the human to provide for its demonic needs and if the human stopped doing the providing, the abuse would start. So, 
Our ancestors tended to avoid upsetting the demons because they wanted to avoid the abuse. Obviously, one could ask why did they, our ancestors, what did they actually interact with the demons at all? And it's a fair question to which I have a very good answer. Uh, well, hopefully a good one. The, the interaction with the demons, if it went well, could be extremely beneficial for humans too. So, if you knew your demons and you did treat them right, so if you treat them in a way that allow you to avoid the abuse, you will kind of agree to be used by the demons, but in exchange of this, you know, being used by the demon, you would get a lot of good stuff, like really a lot. For example, there was, and maybe still is somewhere in a barn or somewhere, that there is or there was this demon which was called Gumiennik. And this demon liked the barn and particularly he, he, actually I'm not sure if Gumiennik or the demons in general have a gender. I mean, I'm sure some have, but I'm not certain about Gumiennik. So let's say it liked, it liked the unthreshed cereals, not like breakfast cereals, but the cereal grain crop like wheat or rye. So Gumiennik liked it. Gumiennik liked, you know, sitting on this unthreshed, freshly harvested wheat or rye or whatever crop the owner of the barn happened to keep in the barn. So Gumiennik liked these freshly harvested cereal crops so much that it tended to get very protective about it. It used its demonic powers to protect this cereal from rain or mold or even from getting stolen. And the favorite pastime of Gumiennik was to shapeshift into a black cat, sit on the harvested crops in the barn and just kind of chill. And Gumiennik really, really did not like to be disturbed when chilling. It considered to be the ultimate act of disrespect if someone, the owner of the barn, for example, if someone disturbed this chilling on the cereal thing that Gumiennik liked doing so much. So, if disturbed, if disrespected, Gumiennik could get very angry very quickly and then the abuse mode will go on. And Gumiennik's abuse could get quite severe, like who would have thought, you know, just a small unimportant barn demon, nothing really too fancy, but it has a kick. When angered, Gumiennik would do some damage. It could, for example, cause the whole harvest to get damp and get all moldy, which would make the whole harvest go to waste, which back in those days, in medieval, uh, early medieval times, would actually mean starvation for the owner of the barn. Or the Gumiennik could cause a fire, which, believe it or not, was even worse, because a fire meant not only starvation, it meant becoming homeless too. Because, I'm actually not sure if I mentioned it already in one of the previous episodes, but uh, Slavs did not put out the fires when a whole house was burning. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they attempted to put out small fires, like tiny little fires that can happen around a fireplace or something. But if the whole building was on fire, they did not do anything about it because they believed 
that the fire was a result of angering the gods or some demons and they did not want to cross the supernatural by getting in the way so they didn't put the fire out also they by the way they the slavs they also didn't rescue drowning people for the same reason to not to anger the supernatural so if somebody was drowning the slavs just assumed that you know the demons want this person life and they just let the demons or the gods get on with it so a uh, fire fire in a barn was super serious because it resulted in starvation obviously because the whole harvest was destroyed in the fire but also if the fire spreads to the main build main buildings to the house it caused homelessness too because the owner of the barn and the house and you know the whole family did not have a roof over their heads anymore and nobody in the village would help them because in the eyes of the slavs the villagers they were cursed like whoever whoever's house burned down it meant that this person is cursed and you shouldn't be helping them so gumienik might not look like much particularly if it shifts into a black cat and it's chilling in the barn but really it was quite a powerful demon and slavs saw it and they respected it and if they suspected they had a gumiennik in their barn they were very very careful around the barn and around the harvest and around any chilling out black cats because they did not want to anger the demon and at the same time if they the, the demon was not angered if the demon was happy it would provide a protection for the harvest so it was all good you know just keep the black cat chilling out black cat happy <laughs> so similar story similar ambivalent either benevolent or malevolent mechanics worked with a lot of slavic demons uh, they were demons who liked and protected the cattle, cows or goats. They were demons who liked and protected the bees, demons who lived in caves and protected caves or mines or, you know, a particular part of forest or a mountain. And all those demons, if they were happy and content and undisturbed and felt respected, they could do awesome things for humans. They could make the cattle, like cows, healthy and strong. They could make the bees give a lot of honey. Or they would make the mines safe and easy to mine. Of course, the malevolence, the abuse, could kick it at any time if the demons felt disrespected. Uh, so humans who were benefiting from the presence of demons... They had to be very careful to not to anger or to disrespect the demons, but really the benefits might have outweighed the dangers by far because it seems that every pre-Christian Slav had some dealings with demons. I mean, the most basic Slavic demonology book like the Polish Bestiarius, it's over 400 pages long and it has easily over 200 demons described in it and those are demons we actually know something about we know their names 
we know the modus operandi, we know the ways they interacted with humans or with the environment, we know about those demons so much more than we know about Slavic gods, yet one will have to look really long and really hard to find a modern Rodnover who works with demons. Because, you know, it's not cool, I guess. We're too good for the demons. We have to be, quote-unquote, working with the gods themselves. Demons were good enough for our ancestors, but suddenly they are not good after, like, you know, hundreds of years of Christianization. They are not good for us anymore. Like, if that's not bonkers, I don't know what is. But... Back to demons, uh, there was lots of them, and majority of them were of the ambivalent, so the sometimes friendly, sometimes hostile category. They were of this, you know, use and abuse category. But there were also a few demons that kind of could only be malevolent, but the way those demons showed their, you know, let's call it like benevolent side, was by not doing the terrible stuff that they could easily be doing to humans if they wanted. So, there was this demon, demon that was called Dwugizmek, and this demon was clearly a male. He looked like an old, tall, and very thin, very skinny beggar, so I'm going to call Dwugizmek him. Actually, you know, he could do some really nasty stuff to humans. <laughs> Dwugizmek could just be sitting in a house or in a village and just his presence, just without doing anything, just by being there, he could cause things to go to waste. He caused bad harvest or diseases. He caused bankruptcy and could also, just by being there, just by sitting there, he could cause alcoholism in the owner of the house or the land that Dwugizmyk was currently sitting on. The way Dwugizmek showed his friendly side was by giving people an option of avoiding his stay in the house or a village. And, you know, the way you could make Dwugizmek go away was by feeding him. If you fed the demon, he would just, you know, eat and then go away and don't cause all these terrible things that he could be causing if he stayed with you. But... If you did not feed the demon, you were just like done. Dwugizmek would, you know, just sit in front of your house or in the middle of the village, your village, and that's it. And all the things will go bad just because of the sheer presence of the demon. Basically, if you read into Slavic demonology, you can really see a general rule here. You know, reciprocity is the rule. Even while interacting with demons, the pre-Christian Slavs did see how beneficial, how helpful it can be to treat somebody with respect and, you know, to be nice to others. I'm not saying to be like subservient and to roll over and just let anyone have their way with you. Just You don't have to be submissive. You just be basically nice. Don't disturb them when they're sleeping. Feed them if they're hungry. Respect their personal space and every now and then give them a small offering. Like, for example, the demon who liked the bees. 
he was called Pasiecznik and like he, like it was called Pasiecznik and he'd like to be given some honey and a loaf of bread, like once a year. Let me repeat, having around the clock protection for you bees, as well as a guarantee of plentifulness of honey and also good quality mead, because Pasiecznik, the bee-liking demon, also caused meat to ferment very well, so all of this good stuff cost a beekeeper a loaf of bread and some honey a year, like annually. I mean, if that's not a good deal, I don't know what is. Having to choose between this sort of bargain price and on the other side, having to pay a god a whole ox, like three or four times a year, You've got to be dumb not to take the demons over gods, like any day. Our ancestors, the original Slavs, they were not dumb. They, they cultivated their relationship with the demons while interacting with the gods only when they absolutely had to. Well, we should be doing the same, but what do I know? Yeah, I'm just not even going to go there again because I keep talking about the same stuff, it seems. Where was I before the Pasiecznik story? Oh, I was, I was talking about reciprocity. Reciprocity is a very good thing to do when interacting with demons as well as when interacting with humans. And what we know about Slavic demonology kind of indicates that the original pre-Christian Slavs knew and appreciated reciprocity. Because when interacting with the Slavic demons, they did not attempt to beat the demons up or exercise the shit out of them, you know, like it's commonly done in a Judeo-Christian demonology. All this shouting at demons and beating the demons up and, you know, in general going for the jugular to beat them up into submission, these demons, while it seems demons are reasonable people, you know? You can communicate with them and you can reach a mutually beneficial agreement with many, if not most of them. So, the pre-Christian Slavs employed the rule of reciprocity with the demons and it's very likely, very likely, that they also employed the rule of reciprocity with their fellow human beings. And so should we. So next time, when you're in a shop and you want something, don't be a Karen. Be a Slav. Be nice and be respectful. Respectfully ask for help and I bet you will get much further and get much better results than if you attempt to sh shout and pout at these poor shop assistants to get them to do what you want. The most important lesson of Slavic demonology, don't be a Karen. Be a Slav and also be nice to black cats, always. That was the ambivalent demons, the ones that could be benevolent or malevolent depending on the situation. But even though most Slavic demons were like that, it does not mean that all of them were like that. The pre-Christian Slavs did have also the stereotypical demons, like, you know, the evil ones. Evil in the meaning that those demons were very, very malevolent towards humans. But, you know, from a different point of view, from, for example, from a point of view of another demon, those 
quote unquote evil demons could actually be called good <laughs> because if you remember we are out of the judeo-christian human-centered value system we are really out in the boonies we are in the pagan world where there isn't really much order you know there isn't a strict hierarchy of importance in the world of a slavic pagan everything is interconnected everything is as important as everything else hence I do my best not to talk about good or bad demons, but about demons who are benevolent or malevolent towards, in our case, humans. So, the quote-unquote evil ones. Most of those demons, they were always nasty towards humans, always out for human blood, and most of such demons were actually human-born demons. Those were the vampires, the Topielce, Południce, Dziwożony, all the nasty, you know, mixed blood demonic folk. I said mixed blood because the demons, the, those demons, the, the, you know, the malevolent, purely malevolent demons, did not actually develop in a natural, organic way. Those human-born demons developed from humans who, after they died, did not receive a proper burial ritual. You know, those demons developed because the rest of the humanity, the people that were alive, they did not do a good job to kind of provide a good care for the deceased, to give the deceased a proper send-off to the afterward. So it's really no wonder that the human-born demons were out for human blood. I mean, they had so many reasons to want to kill humans, it's not even funny. And, you know, they did. The vampires and Topielce and Dziwożony, they were, like, not compromising ones. They were the murderous ones, the malevolent ones. They were demons, the murderous and the malevolent demons, because they were not, so to speak, organic. They were human-made, they were human-born. There really wasn't that many organic, natural, not human-made demons that were as vicious as the, you know, vampire types, but there was a few. There was one that was called Kikimora, and I'm not actually sure if Kikimora was a purebred demon or a human-made one, because it kind of changes depending on where you look. Uh, so some authors claim that Kikimora was a human-made demon that developed from miscarried fetuses or like stillborn babies. But other authors don't say that. So, you know, I use Kikimora as an example because, well, because I need one. <laughs> I mean, not only because of that, I use Kikimora because it could be an organic demon. But in case it really wasn't, I just want to state here, you know, that I am not sure. Anyway, Kikimoras, they lived in the attic, in the attic of a house that either was cursed or was built on an unmarked grave. And after moving in the chosen house, Kikimora crawled to the attic and stayed there pretty much the whole day. Uh, they only, Kikimoras only left the attic at night and when they left, they left with the sole purpose of destruction in mind. They would walk around the house at night, break things and drop things and scare animals and they would also whisper like, you know, nasty things to the ears of the sleeping people. So the sleeping people would have nightmares 
And uh, one thing that Kikimoras always did was tangling up the yarn. Like really, for some reason, they just had this thing about yarn, Kikimoras, and if there was any yarn in, in the house, Kikimora would always tangle it up, which kind of was helpful, really, because this is how you could recognize the type of, you know, the species of a demon that invaded your house. In case you wanted to get rid of it, of the demon, you know, you had to know the measures to use to get rid of the demon. So, yeah, if you saw a tangled up yarn, you could pretty much be sure that it was a kikimora that tormented your house. And then you know how to, you knew how to get rid of it. Because there were other demons that could cause um, the like other symptoms of the presence of Kikimora in the house. The noises at nighttime and the insomnia of people who live in the house, that could also be caused by another type of organic natural demon. A demon or actually demons, because they pretty much were never found single, they were always in packs. I'm talking about Zwidnie here. So Zwidnie, uh, uh, they travel and attack in packs and they, as Kikimora, can cause a lot of nighttime noises in the house uh, that they attack. But they don't tangle up the yarn. So this is one of the ways you can recognize if your house have been has been invaded by Zwidnie or by Kikimoras. Anyway, uh, Zwidnia actually even worse, or sorry, more malevolent and mean than Kikimoras. In the wild, Zwidnia live in rivers or swamps, so that's their natural habitat. But they do like to, you know, pop out from their natural habitat and for fun, I guess, break into a house and just run havoc there. And while in the house, Zwidnia are just relentless. They will break and spoil and disease everything they can put their hands on. So if Zwidnie invade your house, one way you can notice it is that everything breaks just randomly, you know, like buckets or kitchen utensils or ladders. It all just breaks and stops working. And your livestock will get ill and, you know, spooked out. And because Zwidnie are just so mean, they will also chase away any benevolent and protective spirit you might have under your roof. So it's never a nice thing to have Zwidnie at home. Uh, oh, you will, you will also suffer from insomnia because Zwidnie will make so much noise and be so annoying that you won't be able to sleep at night. And they, those Zwidnie, they are also like super committed. They don't just pop in and break stuff and leave, they will stay at your house for as long as it takes to ruin everything. All your belongings, all your food, livestock, your health, they will ruin everything. They will run everything to the ground and they won't leave a single thing standing before they pack up and go back to their swamp. So, you really don't want to have Zwidnie at home. And really, you don't have to. Because there are ways of getting rid of Zwidnie and there are ways of getting rid of Kikimoras. There are ways to stop those demons invading your house in the first place. 
So really, if you have Zwydnie at your house and in your life and your home is just falling apart, according to Slavic tradition, it's actually your fault. Because if you cared enough to do something about it, you could have made it so, so those demons were not able to move in with you. Or failing that, you could just get rid of them, which actually is not so difficult, you know? It's actually quite easy and quite, in my opinion, smart, uh, uh, the way you get rid of Zwydnie. To, to get rid of them from your house, you just have to clean, like deep clean your house, you know, pick up all the broken things and sweep out all the dust and dirt and cobwebs and everything. And after you sweep it all out, you've got to put it all into a sack and take it out. And I just find this method so smart, you know, so right, because I don't know how it is for you, but for me, cleaning, like proper deep cleaning my house is just so therapeutic, you know. It's good for my head to clean. When I have a problem or when things don't go right or for another reason I feel overwhelmed, I just start cleaning, like properly cleaning, like hoover under the furniture and mop and dust and wash everything. And somehow when I'm doing it, by the time I finish, I pretty much always come up with a plan to deal with whatever problem I have. So this cleaning solution really rings true for me. I don't know if it's because I'm Slavic or maybe because I'm a weirdo, but cleaning works for me and it seems it works well for Zwydnie, like, you know, well enough to get rid of them. You know, at least I don't have Zwydnie in my house, I'm sure of that. But uh, the Zwydnie, back to them. Uh, so you, you clean the house, you put all the Zwydnie, you swept them, swep them out and, uh, you know, put all the Zwydnie in a sack. And now you've got to, all you've got to do is to take the sack full of Zwydnie out to the swamp or, or to the river. Or alternatively, you can take this sack full of Zwydnie and leave it at your neighbor's property, <laughs> which might not be a nice thing to do, but it works, so it's all good. So anyway, there are ways to protect yourself from invasion of malevolent demons, and they are ways of getting rid of those demons if they invade your life or your house. So if, as a Rodnover, if you're putting up with all those demons, you can only blame yourself. So, what I want to say to you as one practicing Rodnover to another is that if you have a problem in your life, if you don't do well, if things don't go well, praying is not really the Slavic thing to do. Pre-Christian Slavs, the original followers of Slavic native faith, did not bother their gods with their like regular day-to-day -day problems. When faced with bad luck or insomnia or, you know, their house not being in order, they didn't ask the gods for help, but they sought a solution themselves because they knew that most of life problems, human problems, are not caused by the gods, but they are caused by the demons. 
And demons is something a human can deal with without having to pray to the gods or to make a sacrifice or, you know, build an altar or whatever. So if you suffer from insomnia and things don't go well for you, the first thing you should do is to put your house in order, like literally have a look around see what goes wrong, identify the symptoms so you can identify the demon responsible for it. And once you've got the demon identified, then you just have to get rid of it. And that's it. No God's intervention required. No prayers required. No sacrifices required. Just a regular common sense and, you know, a direct action. There's obviously other Slavic demons, a part of the ones I mentioned in this episode. There are demons that can cause you to drink excessively or demons that make you argue with your family or your family with you. There are demons that can make you rich by stealing from others or demons that can give you things or take things away from you. There are all sorts of demons in Slavic demonology. And to talk about them all, I'll have to talk till, I don't know, next week, I suppose. So because I'm already talking more than I planned, I'm going to mention only one more demon, which is just super cool. And I want it. This demon is called Yarhuk. And it's actually Yarhuk is not a demon per se. It's more of an anti-demon like a guard dog, anti-demon guard dog, which, you know, can be bred at home, like hands-on dog breeding. And Yarhook, if the breeding process is successful, Yarhook will protect you from every malevolent demon there is, like every single one. So Yarhooks are amazing, but they're not easy to get. I mean, you, you do breed Yarhooks, but it's not easy because Yarhooks are like literally black dogs born and bred. So they are born in the, a Yarhook is born in the ninth generation of a black dog family. And because they have all these anti-demon abilities when they are young, when they are puppies, they get attacked a lot by the malevolent demons because the malevolent demons wants to destroy the Yarhook because the ya before the Yarhook is strong enough to destroy them. So Yarhook's puppies are very sickly and they require lots of care and hand rearing and they need to be sheltered and protected for the first year of their life. But once they make it through the first 12 months, they are just awesome. They are like fully immune to any and all demonic attacks. They just can be touched by malevolent demon and they have this amazing sense of smell that allows them to sniff out demons and just hunt them down and kill them. And Yarhooks will always protect their owners, the person who brought them up and cared for them. So, well, if there is a lesson here, the lesson is, um, actually there are two lessons. One is that it doesn't really matter how you protect yourself from demons. What matters is that you do. For some people, cleaning their house will be good, but some people might just decide that they want to breed dogs for 10 years so they can have a yard hook and won't need any protection. 
So however you want to deal with demons, it's fine. As long as you deal with them on your own, with your own effort and work and, you know, not with this praying that every other Rodnover, modern Rodnover seem to be doing nowadays. It's hands-on people, like hands-on, up from your knees and keep fighting with demons. This is how Slavs do it. And the other lesson here is, well, is that dogs are good for you. They really are. You should look after dogs and you should have one because you never know. It might just happen to be a yahook. And if that's the case, you are just set for life, mate. I mean, not for the length of your life, for the length of your yahook's life, but you know, still that's something. If you look after your dog right, if you feed it right and get your dog to the vets regularly for checkups and vaccinations, you might just get to keep your yard hook for 12, 14 or even 15 years. And that's a long time to be fully protected from demons. So, you know, it's worth it. So that's pretty much all I had to say today about Slavic demons. Uh, there's some more info on the topic in the blog post. If you want to check it out, I'll put a link to it in the notes of this episode. Uh, actually, I forgot because I, I keep talking about studying Slavic tradition and not relying on what, you know, these praying altar making zhercas are trying to sell you. But I keep forgetting to mention about what, what to study. I mean, if you really want to get into Slavic culture and tradition, you have got to know a Slavic language. Uh, but if you don't, if you, you know, only, quote unquote, only know English or some other non-Slavic language, you might want to check out the Slavic calendar, which is published every year by... Um, kind of a co-op of Polish Rodnovers is not an official group or organization, it's just an informal group of Rodnovers who get together every year and publish a Slavic calendar. And they have been doing it for the last, I think, five years. And the good thing about this calendar is that it's also published in English. Uh, every year there is a different leading theme. Demons, I think, were three years ago. Uh, this year, the calendar is about animals in Slavic tradition. There are There is one animal for each month. There's obviously a picture and actually a drawn picture of the animal, uh, not like a photo picture, and like, you know, a, a drawn horse or a bear. And there's also short information on the meaning and the symbolism of this animal in Slavic tradition. So, you know, it's all very interesting and tadam in English. And uh, I am going to add a link to the Slavic calendar in the notes to this episode. I am not sure if right now, so today, and today is the 28th of October, I am not sure if you can order the calendar today, but if you listen to this episode in a week or two, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to order the calendar then. And the calendars are shipped all over the world, so that's helpful. Uh, but 
the, other than the calendar, I'm pretty much have said everything I wanted to say. Uh, well, a part of saying a big humongous thank you to every single one of you, the listeners of this podcast. Thank you so much for all your feedback and the emails and the messages and thumbs up and every single way you are letting us know what you think and how you find the podcast. Uh, we, the, the Vityas project, we always want to hear from you, whatever you have to say, uh, whether it's uh, good stuff or bad stuff, just let us know. You can uh, contact us through our website, which is witia.squarespace.com, witia.squarespace.com. You can contact us through our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channel, or via email, which is witia.com d-a-b-o-r-u at gmail.com so that's w-i-t-i-a dot d-a-b-o-r-u at gmail.com and I will link all the contact details in the notes of this podcast and for now thank you for listening I hope it wasn't too <laughs> bonkers I hope it wasn't too confusing. Uh, look after yourself, stay away from the malevolent demons and make sure to keep the ambivalent ones happy. And I will see you next time or hear you or I will talk to you next time. Suava. Hey.